My decision-making criteria of everything I've ever done uh, is based on the knowledge that I have a choice of response. The choice that I've made have been to use those things as a fueling mechanism as opposed to a, a debilitating disease. Hello and welcome to Minter Dialogue, episode number 328. Today is Sunday the 19th of May 2019 and this interview is with Jonathan McDonald. Jonathan's a man who excels at many things, including being a CEO whisperer, inventor, investor, renowned black belt in kickboxing. And most recently, Jonathan's also author of the best-selling Powered by Change, which was a Sunday Times business book bestseller, and that won the Embracing Change Award at this year's Business Book Awards. Jonathan challenges himself to radically change his life every year. It's a most remarkable and inspirational story. Welcome to the Minter Dialogue podcast, where we discuss branding and all things digital. I am Minter Dial, your host, and you'll find the show notes on my eponymous site, MinterDial.com. Enjoy the show. Jonathan McDonald, great to have you on the show. You and I shared one experience, um, which differed at the end by being finalists for the Business Book Awards, uh, and you won with yours, Powered by Change. Of course, you cheated because you had change in the title and the category was embracing change. <laughs> Jonathan, in your own words, how do you describe yourself? Uh, I think that, my, well, apparently, according to Google now, I'm an author, uh, which is a bit of a shock. And my, my mum reminds me that because I'm now an award-winning best-selling author, I'm allowed to call myself one. But I've never been sure how to introduce myself at dinner parties. I tend to bumble on for about three minutes until the person I'm speaking to either gets bored or, or walks away or both. But I think my, my primary purpose in life is to expand the way that people think. And I've done that through multiple ways. And so I've had nine startups of which three of which worked, six of which were spectacular disasters, which my, my therapist calls learnings. Um, I've, I've been a, an investor in some things. I've, I've had a, a, a good go at the, the professional keynote uh, world. And um, and so, I, yeah, I think I'm a dabbler, a bit of a portfolio CV person. I'm massively unemployable. So I uh, haven't been, haven't had anywhere near as an illustrious career as you, as you've had with people like L'Oreal and so forth. Um, I think my, I mean, the nearest kind of few brushes with, with large corporations have always been as a private advisor. I'm a CEO whisperer in the background sometimes. And and uh, some, uh, when those conversations have uh, have reached the stage of, oh, well, what about coming on board and joining us? I, I meet their HR teams or I meet their C-suite. And, and I think we all mutually agree that uh, I'm not really a, pay pal- a payroll person. Uh, that's it. That's my short introduction of what I am. That's great. <laughs> well, you, uh, and Jonathan, you come with a, a, an amazingly interesting and rich history so as much as you might have had failures, the richness and the learnings, as you say. So um, powered by change, how did you get this idea to come up with a book? Well, it's my fifth book. Ah, oh, there um, you go. Sorry about four that. Of, 
Oh, no, it's fine. Well, it's nah, well, nah. well. When when I tell you the sales figures, you will be sorry. Hmm. <laughs> My the four four prior ones were were self published and sold three copies in total. And and I only realised last year they'd sold all to my mum. This one, this one, um, I was I I actually flipped a coin. Um, every, every year for thirteen years, I flip, I flip a coin on New Year's Eve between two things that I'm either fundamentally unable to do or untalented to do or I'm scared of. And um, and so uh, about 18, well, two years ago, I flipped a coin uh, between becoming a best-selling author, which I had no evidence or, or ability to do from the last four books. Um, and the other side of the coin was go to a Trappist monk retreat in Tibet for four months. And it landed on heads and... Um, so I executed it, and uh, and I, I, but I've equally flipped coins to uh, to get selected to a world championships in a martial arts I've never done before. Uh, that world championship is in August this year in Florida, uh, in jiu-jitsu. Um, I've become a boat captain. I've learned to speak four languages. I've I've radically forgiven all of my, my tormentors in the past, all from coin flips. So, Power by Change was a, a coin flip, and. Uh, yeah, I just took all of my experiences of in the past how we, how I have personally or, or observed companies or individuals choosing to, uh, well, choose either choosing their response positively to change, or to stand firm in the winds of change and refuse to accept that things are perpetually in motion. And uh, and and the book is essentially a a um, <laughs> a debrief of my 30 years in business as to the the outcomes of those decisions. <laughs> That's brilliant. Well, Jonathan, so uh, as I'm listening, I, I, I listened to the coin toss mm. and I wanted to put that in contrast to this idea of not being the victim mm. as you went through a whole journey in your life where mm. you move from this thought of being the victim towards taking responsibility or being accountable and, and mm. of course also becoming a black belt along yeah. the way tell tell me how you describe that difference between let's say the idea of the coin toss and yeah. taking accountability well i'm a huge victor frankl fan and mm. one of the most salient uh, phrases of his which which is constantly uh, in the without even sounding too hyperbolic here is constantly in the forefront of my mind uh, and that is that uh, there's a gap between stimulus and response. And in that gap lies our growth and our freedom. And my decision-making criteria of everything I've ever done uh, is based on the knowledge that I have a choice of response. And with the, with the from being abused for 11 years as a child through to having two sets of business um, partners turn completely rogue and eventually screw me over um the the choices of response that i've made have been to use those things as a fueling mechanism as opposed to a, a debilitating disease and i think that the in my past well the coin flips that i've done are are a manifestation of the choice uh that that i can have so choosing between things that i am scared of or unsuitable for and then uh, uh, having a heads and a tails like that, and then it landing and then executing, I've, I've executed every single coin flip outcome, um, is when people say to me, well, how, how can you do that? 
I give the same answer as to when I was stabbed at 16 and bleeding out on the floor, almost dying um, by one of my childhood tormentors. Um, the choice that I had, despite feeling the extreme warmth of the embrace of death, I felt um, that I could, I actually chose to live and I've chosen to survive um, and I've chosen to to pursue. And uh, the coin flips is a choice once the choice, once the heads or tails outcome, because life is like that. Flip, flips happen. Things land on heads sometimes. They land on tails sometimes. A lot of the situations we're in, we're not necessarily suitable for or we're, we're not necessarily authorized to do or we're scared of. That's life. Um, and so I think my coin flip mentality has is is simply a manifestation of my choice of response to 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 paraphrase frank frankel mm, in search of meaning yeah, yeah. I mean, that's a brilliant response and i, I didn't expect anything less jonathan i because <laughs> at the end of the day one could have said well you know it's just a fl flippant flip of the coin <laughs> but your yeah. injection of the two sides in advance is really where the choice is happening mm, it, that's correct i think the the choice, I, I let randomness and uncertainty and serendipity happen. And then I choose my response to be uh, one that enables me to evolve. And that's pretty much my, my, my mindset on that. Hmm. Well, very brave. And do you have like a ceremony around this? Or do you sort of, <laughs> you know, do it with, with a cognac on the side? Or, well, other, or Other than sacrificing the odd goat, no. We, we, I, have a, I have, I, I don't, I... I tend to do it very privately and um, without fanfare. So it's only in the last year that anyone, and I mean anyone, as in any single human being, not even my closest friends or partners or family, anyone has known about coin flips. I, I only started telling people because I got into this martial art, that when it landed on the martial arts one, <laughs> I, I started training... Um, 13, 14 times a week for seven months as a as a white belt in the hardest martial art and I've never the one I've never done and for seven months uh, up until the British Nationals last year where I, I won the heavyweight championship um, I, people were asking where I was all the time and and unlike that with all the other coin flips I've managed to hide hide what I'm doing in plain sight I'll occasionally post something online about a new activity or a new language I'm learning or a new skill I'm learning. Um, and this one I couldn't hide because all I was, I was in the dojo every day. So no one, <laughs> it was unavoidable. And eventually I said, okay, right, this is what I'm, I'm actually doing. It's because the, the coin landed on heads. <laughs> so one of the things, Jonathan, that of course is, is very powerful in Power by Change is your personal story that got you to where you are, where you have Jasper Broden, the CEO of IKEA, um, yeah. talking uh, or doing the preface and, and obviously you working for them and with them. Mm -hmm. At what point did you come out? Because <laughs> if you were 11 years abused like that, mm -hmm. I have to imagine that it was sort of in a secret, shameful place somehow if no one was there, no adults were including your parents were, weren't able to help you through that yeah I think um well but in that in reverse the first first thing to mention is that um well after I was given up at birth um uh, on the day I was born um I, I was t taken immediately into an orphanage and then into uh, various foster homes 
and I was eventually adopted. My um, shame of being uh, different and being outcast was was essentially validated by by the first ever day at school being stabbed in the hand with a pencil by one of the older kids. And um, in fact, it's my my I still have the lead in my right hand uh, to this day. Um, my, I call it my first tattoo, and mm. uh, and I, I I hid as much much as I could. I hid broken bones. I hid bruises. I I said that I was in. Um, I'd fallen over in playgrounds, or mm. I'd, I'd run into a tree, or run into a door, or whatever. So I hid it as much as I could. Sometimes I I didn't hide it, and my my um, my parents' attitude was was quite quite uh, quite far along the line of. Well, you know, you know, what doesn't kill you makes you stronger type thing. And, you know, man up and fight back. Um, the teacher's uh, viewpoint of what was going on was to, to to have an assembly and call out the bullies' names um, to bring them up to the front of the school, which meant that that then 10x'd the, uh, yeah. the torment. And um, and then I, uh, I, after my childhood had passed, I, I ended up, getting into relationships with with um women who were uh who i i unwittingly had basically found the most attractive bullies i could but bullies nonetheless and um and i am a narcissist magnet so i tend to find somehow um psychopaths uh, kind of hone me out and find find an easy route in or di- or found an easy route in the past but the i think i've I never really wanted to tell anyone about these things until possibly uh, three, four years ago, five years ago, perhaps, where I mentioned something on stage to a group of people, uh, I think a group of school kids. And the effect was so strong that I realized that um, it, it served a massive benefit to pe- some people uh, to hear the accounts of of someone who had who was maybe experiencing something, unfortunately, that they were. And I, I never saw this as anything that could benefit others. I saw this as a private hell. And it turns out now that the private hell is actually a, a glimmer of hope for those who are who are in their own dark versions. Well, it certainly makes for a an authentic, revealing story and and therefore just makes you so much more approachable and believable well thank you well i guess that's an outcome of it as well and i but i say it with all humility when i when i say that i i i'm genuinely honored that people find it of of interest or of value because it's certainly not for promotion in fact i feel somewhat of an imposter it's why i joke about the author thing um writing Hmm. about my personal story empowered by change was something that i had no intention of doing until the publishers said well, you know, you know, you've mentioned this a few times on stage. You know, this would really make the book personal, and I, I begrudgingly wrote that chapter, and it was the hard, one of the hardest things I've ever done. But even harder was reading out the audible version, mm. and reading out the account of my own uh, childhood was was uh, was exactly like living through it again. Mm. <laughs> Well, it it certainly is powerful. And it, it made me think, Jonathan, about how often people who espouse ideas of purpose and, and the importance of people 
there's some common thread that seems to be that they have had a life-changing experience that has led them to the power of purpose or in any way the integrity and the intentionality of purpose. Do you, do you believe with, have you observed the same thing? And, and then the second follow-up will be to what extent that then becomes necessary for people finally to convert. Hmm. <sighs> well, I, the first, the first part is easier for me to, to talk about because essentially if you take um, Joseph Campbell's um, monomyth or otherwise known as the hero's journey, um, dis- described albeit slightly confusingly in a hero with a thousand faces, but Campbell, Campbell's hero's journey, um, I think accurately describes how myths are constructed and also human life tends to run. So we start with a call to an adventure. We, we then kind of somehow have some form of supernatural aid, whether it's something that's esoteric or something, un, un, you know, unforeseen. And then we go into our, uh, our kind of abyss where we have these challenges and we have these horrible uh, horrible moments where we fight our demons and then there's a kind of a, a rebirth and a transformation that that enables us to return to to the world as it used to be but with this new understanding and so that's the way that that life seems to be um, and and sometimes we sometimes we don't realize it's happening to us but I doubt that anyone who's listening to this uh, hasn't gone through their own challenges and 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 has learned from them and so to your, to the second uh point i think that it is i find it i find stories that are journeys uh are the most believable um and but i'm not sure i would say that all stories need to have such a journey uh some stories can be uh something that is a an observation without actually being on the journey themselves they people could look at a journey from a helicopter and and plot out a route through the Amazon. And, and, you know, does David Attenborough actually go through all of the ice caps on his own or the jungles on his own? Or does he actually have uh, photographers and explorers who do that and then he he can observe? Um, I think it's, it's valid either way. Um, and believe me, in my past, I wish that I'd been able to observe as as much as I've had to experience, but now I realise that um, it's the journey is, um, is is actually the destination in itself. And without being too cliched, uh, my my place in time now is a result of the the hell that I've had to go through, and also then found the the joys of it all. And uh, and I've, I'm massively grateful for for the for the crap that I've been dealt. Yeah. <laughs> So you did say in the beginning that you have gone through a, 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 I can't remember the qualifying word, but an epic forgiveness. Yes. Tell us, yeah, the radical forgiveness. Tell us what that looks like and and how you've done it. Well, when the coin flip in 2009 landed, um, I, I, I I mean, the, the thing that I just could not get my head around doing uh, on both sides of the coin, the t- heads heads was this radical forgiveness, which was physically going to meet everyone that had ever treated me badly, hmm. and look them in the eye and say, "I totally forgive you and thank you for helping me grow." That was the line. 
And I managed to find about 80% of the people and 20% I couldn't get in touch with. And I tried and tried and tried. I knocked on doors. I, you know, scoured social media and stuff like that. But anyway, eight, eight in 10. And there was about 25 people. So maybe 21, 20, yeah, 20 out of the 25, I think. Um, I, God, it's horrible. I mean, the first, the first guy, the first guy was the guy that stabbed me in the stomach when I was 16. Mm. And um, I met him, I met his daughter, I met his um, wife, I met his mum. And uh, I, on his request, I met him first and then he introduced me to the rest of his family. Mm. Um, and it is, I don't know if you've ever juiced or just had a raw food diet um, and detoxified yourself in your past, but um, it's it's synonymous with, or it's it's very similar to um detoxifying your entire system hmm. uh and i was not aware until then 2009 that i was carrying around that all baggage. of the darkness yeah and the darkness of the negativity and the resentment the remorse the sadness the the pain i'd actually inherited their negativity um every punch i received every one of my broken bones every Every time I was hit with a baseball bat and 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 my head bashed, bashed against fire extinguishers, every every time that happened, there's an energy transference of negativity into me. And when I forgave everyone, the or those that I could find, the negativity instantly goes. And um, and I still practice radical forgiveness for this to this day. I, I've I'm. Even as we speak, I'm involved in something that that is from a, an extremely um, uh, negative individual who who is is hell bent on causing me as much harm as possible, including defamation of character and all, all, all manner of things. And and my view is to just radically forgive them and say, I, I'm sure you have your reasons. I I'm not going to own your story, um, but you also need to know that this isn't going to be something that I inherit from you. This is something that only you can carry. I'm not. I'm not willing to carry the negative, and I forgive you for everything you're doing or, and and everything you've done. And, it's, it, and it's it's wonderful. It's your problem. Yes. What, what about the effect then on those that you forgave? Because you you mentioned this chap who then introduced you to his entire family. I mean, the narrative in my head is, oh God, I'm really embarrassed. This guy I forked in the stomach when we were 16 years old or whatever. And uh, and now he's coming and he's forgiving me. I, I I have to believe I was a real dick. Maybe I, I still am. And, and <laughs> this is this is the words that are going through my mind. So explain explain what actually happens. Well, they they are different reactions. Um, in no particular order, um, two people went to rehab uh, because of the radical forgiveness. Um, one of them uh, actually was still a criminal and uh, went and radically apologized to the last four people that they had committed a crime to um i had six people try and attack me uh, out of the 20 or so hmm. um so it, the spectrum ranges from it being a life-changing positive outcome to a per, uh, perpetuity of the of mm -hmm. the negative hmm. and um but even in that you see i can't um, I can't force an outcome and, and don't even want an outcome. The, the radical forgiveness 
was one of literally forgiving. It was giving back what had been giving, given to me um, in negativity to allowing them to own it rather than me to own it. And, uh, and I reminded everyone that they have a choice as to what to do with it. And, and I'm, and I, I prefer to be a lighthouse rather than a tugboat. So I, I, I didn't do this so that I could show them the error of their ways. Uh, I did this so that they could see that there's a different way of living um, through them owning their own stuff, but also so I could not carry around this backpack of of, um, of darkness. And uh, so, yeah, different reactions from different people. It's quite telling, actually, the type of people that, that they are genuinely, um, or at least that they're genuinely fronting. I, I think that behind all the darkness, unless you're a, a psychopath or a sociopath, behind the darkness there is there is a glimmer of light it's just sometimes extremely well covered well i I, i'm writing a new book and and i think that one of the pieces in it i'm not sure how much it's going to end up being but it it is the suggestion that we all have darkness and and that it our journey to use your phrase is is about learning how to accept that darkness within it's called the light, or at least within our personality, and yes. and uh, you know without needing to dive into it to become some you know musician or you know big artist, which we're typically more obvious type of of uh, conjoinment. But if if you were in any day business, anybody, everybody has a, a private side and probably something. That let's say society might frown on if it were considered you know, to be exposed. Yeah, I th- well, I think we're we're really talking about yin yin and yang, aren't we? So, at the end of the day, we if we have a dark, bright kind of negative, positive um, dualism, uh, then we we all do have the uh, these contrary forces, um, but they can be complementary and interconnected and interdependent and and so forth to to themselves and i i um that's why i mentioned about the darkness that's just covering over where the light is um you could argue that 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 there is a lot of um there's an internal battle that we have and, and an opportunity that we have to to choose which path within us we follow and um and so i i i feel that that that's a a positive and uh, and but I think it's very real, realistic that to have the duality inside it. Otherwise, it's similar to the fact that a day has a, you know, there's there's a, a bit with the sunshine and a bit and a bit in darkness, and and we have, you know, we we can sit in the darkness and feel that you know it's it's you know that's all we have. But in fact, that you know the the darkest part is just before the dawn, and then we have this this opportunity. And and sometimes people, and I've certainly been in that in my life in in this way in my life sometimes people um these are those who can choose by the way sometimes people choose uh to maintain that darkness like the uh, six people you went to. yeah <laughs> yeah and um whereas there are there are other people who um who don't necessarily have the psychological capability to choose that and um <clears throat> and those though that that sort that part that place which now in various different terminologies is called depression uh, is something that I think should be brought more to the forefront of um, 
public awareness and medical practice because the, it, it is not always as simple as saying, well, I choose not to feel uh, in, uh, to be inside my dark place. I choose to, uh, to, 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 to snap out of it. And of course, in various different psychoses and, and, and mental balances, um, there isn't always an available choice um, when there is when there's actually a mechanical and biological and chemical structural issue. And um, and that's very different than someone saying, oh, I feel really depressed today. Hmm. Um, <laughs> it's different than than what depression actually is. So I think this makes for a nice pivot to talk a little bit about what actually is. I mean, you know, let's say from the business point of view. What Powered by Change is all about. You, the subtitle mm. is How to Design Your Business for Perpetual Success. Mm. And and clearly, you're in a good place to be talking about this. You've also spent time working with some of the largest, best-known companies on this. And and you use this idea of the, the windmill principle. So yeah, I, the windmill theory. Yeah, yeah. yeah, tell us what that is. <clears throat> well, I think one, one of the things that, the starting point of that was a, an ancient proverb that I that I read a long time ago called "When the winds of change are blowing, some build a wall and others build windmills." And I I found that fascinating to think about, and and I realised that there's a similarity between between that ancient proverb and how I've noticed the activities and behaviours and uh, of uh, and the thoughts of of, of companies. Um, and not so to I, mention certain presidents. Aha. Well, yes, and prime ministers. So I think the I think the my starting point for powered by change was the windmill, the the wall windmill paradox, the wall windmill choice, if you like. And I then um, discovered over my over my years that there were that there were four areas which which the attitude shift or choice. Um, comes to play in if we were to use change as a positive fueling factor now for change to be a fuel um, you and change to be a wind the analogy kind of stretches that that you know to be powered by change we need to power our windmill and the four blades of that windmill are are, are purpose people product and process which are the, the four sections the four areas in which i've noticed companies either are um are void of or lacking in uh, the correct tooling to to be powered by change, or they are excelling. And if you're excelling in all four areas, then you are powered by change truly. And if you are, if you have only three of your blades working, then your windmill can't be as as well powered by change. And if you have none of your blades working, then you've just got a very high built wall. Um, and uh, and so I, that in the book, rather than being too, um, <laughs> it sounds very uh, kind of wishy-washy and analogous, but in the book I have over maybe a thousand case studies of what I actually mean by that, and I name names. And, and you do, and, you do. It's very concrete. Yeah. So, it's, it, and I think that's why Jesper from IKEA wrote the forward um, because it, his company was one of the first that I explained the windmill theory to, and then helped them over six years to. Um, grow from the 30 to 40 billion dollar uh, euro turnover that they're in and and we've had all kinds of i mean they have a windmill department and a and all, all kinds of things named after the bits of the book now it's awesome it is so i mean let's say that from my experience the the largest swath of companies 
tend to think they have a great product or, or delivering some kind of great service. They have been going to business schools and learning how to do processes and getting procedures in place and all this. It, it seems to me that the, the, the often the most lacking is purpose, but the second one right behind it is, is having the right people. Not necessarily, they can all be good, but they just not be the right people for your culture. Is yeah. that your observation? Because you do say that all four are needed. And I was wondering to what extent yes. you would modulate that. Mm. Well, all four do, are needed. And in fact, they are interdependent because if you have, <coughs> if you have a, 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 the, from a personal level and a corporate level, a clearly defined purpose, the, the why and the what, um, and that is, that is well-defined and everyone knows, but you don't have the right people, process or products, or people, products and process, the how. then what you end up with is a lot of people without the how and, uh, and, and no, nothing to execute. If you have the purpose and the people, and the people I mean the people who are aligned to their own purpose that's resonant to your purpose, and the people with the willingness to try and experiment and learn and evolve, but you don't have the right products, and by products I mean anything that's produced, including services. If you don't have the right, if you don't have a matched product set or processes, then you end up with frustration. If you have the right process, the purpose, and the right people, and you've got kick-ass products and services, but you don't have any processes in place, then what happens is you go bankrupt because nothing actually comes to market. And if you have all of the four together, you're enabled, you've enabled an internal um, resonant purpose that runs across an organization and into the consumer world, if we're looking at it from a B2C perspective. And you then have uh, a range of products that are actually manifestations of that purpose or services. And then you have the processes that enable these things to happen in a, in a porous way that, uh, that can, can actually link the resonance together in the, from an intrapersonal perspective, an interpersonal perspective, and an extrapersonal perspective. You can be powered by change to such an extent that despite the fact that today's the slowest place to change will ever experience, you can grow and grow and grow due to your four blades working together. And um, yeah, that's, that's why they're needed. One of the things you mentioned is this notion of an empowering mechanism. Mm. And in, in companies, certainly as they get bigger, the idea of process and procedures and checks and balances tends to bear down on the ability to empower down the ranks. Mm, indeed. What is the key to making that empowerment happen? I mean, in your observation mm. working with these companies... What, what what makes for that to work as a, you know, it's a great idea, but, you know, won't work here. <laughs> yeah. Well, actually, funny enough, one of the caveat, not caveats, the, the precursors to the process blade that I speak of is that this isn't um, a thing of, hey, let's just get loads of processes in place. That's that's a, that's commercial suicide. This is not about proceduralizing things to their nth degree. That's crazy talk. The um, the processes that I'm talking about are processes that enable things to be powered by change and enable our people to express and have permission to experiment, etc. And so it's sadly process has has a bit of a bad rap because you get a, a good old big four consultant in to over process the whole thing and everything grinds to a halt or you. You know, you have board sanctions that, that say that we need a process for this and this and this and this and this. And 
but we can only have four meetings or five meetings before this decision is made. That's not a process that's suitable for change. Processes that are suitable for change are ones that are uh, flexible enough but rigid enough at the same time to withstand uh, the, 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 the stretch of change, uh, but without the uh, randomness that can come from a kind of a, a shrugged shoulder process, which is like, well, it doesn't really matter what happens because everything changes. So we actually need to find a balance. And, and with all paradoxes, um, it, this isn't a, a binary kind of we need no processes, no processes or we need loads of processes. What we need to do is actually find a balance of procedural ways that we can be powered and empowered. And, uh, and so my process blade, I, I cringed when I wrote the word process, in mm -hmm. fact, um, because I knew that it would come across as, hold on a minute, processes process kills organizations well actually what i go into in the in that section is that well i can give you a dozen or so or maybe a hundred dozen examples of when lack of process really really kills organizations mm -hmm. but also wrong processes kill organizations it's the same as anything from since the dawn of innovation you know fire on demand was our first human innovation and you can take fire on demand to heat your cave or you can take fire on demand to kill your enemies you could heat your food so you don't die of diseases but equally you can burn yourself and so process is the same we can we can use it to heat our caves and we can use it to beat competition um but if we abuse process and we have the wrong processes then we burn ourselves something you mentioned about your success jonathan um i believe it was said you said it was not to listen to everybody and to have too many people's ideas. <laughs> yes. I, I latched uh, onto that because, I, I mean, at the end of the day, there's all this notion of consensuality and listening to everybody. But underneath that sounds like, and don't take this wrong, but, you know, the benevolent dictator. Yes, it does. I mean, I, I'm not a fan of mass consensus. I, I don't believe that people are good at making decisions anyway. I think heuristics and biases are the uh, and natural selection are the overlords. And so if you ask if and also uh, and I could go on about this forever, so I'll keep this as short as possible. But 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 the amount of uh, the the type of answers to questions asked are directly proportional to the type of questions. And so if you go to someone who loves you and cares for you and doesn't want to hurt your feelings and mm. ask them whether or not your new idea has any legs. Oh, it's then, brilliant. I really love they're, it. They're going to say it's brilliant. I really love it. And uh, But equally, if you go to someone who who last invested into your company and you lost 100 million of their pounds, uh, they're, they're, they're going to say your idea sucks. So does the idea suck um, or is it amazing? Um, and the idea is still the idea. And I'm fearful of gaining too many opinions when opinions are, are, are commonplace, what we really need to do is look inside ourselves and think, do we actually believe, do I believe in this to such an extent that I would sacrifice my security for it or potentially sacrifice my friendships for it if they fell away by the wayside? If my bank manager told me that he was no longer or she was no longer going to um, give me the overdraft facility or, and, you know, would I still then believe in this idea? Or... Is the idea um, conditional to people still loving me and people still backing me financially? 
And if it's a conditional idea, then that's great. That's not that doesn't mean it's a bad idea. It just means that you are your purpose for doing this um, has lots of conditions attached that we need to be cognizant of when we're making our decisions. If, however, you make you have an idea that you're going to pursue regardless, then it really doesn't matter what anyone else thinks. Um, now, all of that to one side, gaining advice from experts uh, who have been there and done it is a brilliant idea. I, I tend to learn from a U-shape of the population and the U-shape, if you imagine a U-shape over an age demographic, I, I learn most from people who are very young or very old. And, and, and I, I learn less from people my age. Uh, I, I, I prefer to learn from someone who's been in business for 20 years longer than me or 30 years less. And, uh, and that means that I can gain the insight from the childlike mind uh, of, of the innocent view of the untainted or the gray-haired experience of, well, you know what, Jonathan, yeah, in the last 465 board meetings that I had, this was the type of thing I observed. Um, and then it's down to your ego or hopefully your management of ego as to allowing yourself to listen to those who are either from the younger to the older in, in, in respect, either unqualified to give you advice, which, of course, they're not, or seemingly out of touch, which, of course, they're not. Older generations may not necessarily understand how to use Snapchat, but they sure as hell know how to run a P&L. And they sure as hell know how important cash balance is and when you've got when you've got creditors. And they sure as hell know what what shareholder agreements stand for. And so, yeah, they may they may not know. They may not. They may think that Twitter is the sound a bird makes. But the truth is, they they the gray hairs are there for experience, you know. Well, I'm glad I have gray hairs, but it found um, unfortunately I don't fit on either side of your use. I'm being put out of pasture here. Um, so, Jonathan, linking in this last part of this uh, chat, because uh, behind the idea of, of not listening to everybody, I do feel that there is this notion of having a backbone and, and, and being in touch with some kind of decision-making process, some kind of stimulus that is yours, because otherwise you're listening to all the winds all the time. So in, the, in this metaphor of using a windmill, generally speaking, windmills are, are fixed in a direction. You know, you build it up and then the, the blades turn beautifully 360 degrees, but in one cut, as in, you know, facing nor northwest or southeast. And I was wondering to what extent that is relevant in, in, the, in your windmill, because if you position yourself in one way, like in a sailboat, you may get no wind whatsoever. And so how do you position the, the setting, the compass of the windmill in the first place? Well, there's, there's bits of the analogy here that are, are subjective and bits that are literal. And um, if I were to find the literal parts, um, you are the windmill and the, the mast of the windmill is your backbone. And there is always wind of change. Uh, this is the only thing we can guarantee. Therefore, the, it's actually what the windmill is powering, as opposed to the fact that the windmill is still you. And you are, in terms of teleology, or the, the, the telos, our ultimate purpose, one could argue that that is, that is the master of the windmill. That is the thing that's keeping the windmill standing. And, and I personally believe 
that if we unlayer ourselves down to our basic essence of being, um, that is actually still us, and we are we are we are the energy components um, in place, and that's that's how I view that part of the analogy. Um, trying to take a literal line off it, um, I think how how we get, how we direct the energy that is generated from the winds of change. Uh, which can be 360 degrees directed, bearing in mind that the windmill is us and we're the generators of the energy that produce the uh, decisions to, to go in whatever direction. Um, I think that's one of introspection as well. And looking looking inside and thinking, what is it? Or rather, even if we can, not thinking, but actually being what it is that we truly are. And there's the 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 the, the, the big struggle with that is that we are we are prisoners of our thoughts to to use another frankel term and we tend to think that we would like to be dot 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 or we think that we believe dot 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 but if we can and i love meditation as a practice deeply if we can observe our thoughts uh we can see how our thoughts are actually competing for attention we can see the panel of decision makers. Uh, we can see the, the the prison cards, if you like, who are inside us, inside our thinking, uh, essentially throwing forward audition uh, auditions of of what we would class as rational decisions. But of course, within that rationale lies our heuristics and biases. And uh, without that, those heuristics and biases, we would we would possibly not have an opinion. And uh, so it's a it's a it's a paradox that requires balance, as all paradoxes do. Hmm. And that's a very long way of answering your your, your question. It's been great, Jonathan. I've immensely enjoyed this journey and chatting with you and discovering more about you and uh, powered by change. So tell us how can uh, people get any of your five books, <laughs> <laughs> including this last best-selling, wonderful powered by change. Well, I would only pay any attention to the first, to the, from the most recent three. Uh, the first one I've deleted from the world. The second one is available as a free PDF. All of this is at jonathanmacdonald.com. Uh, no, that's with the M A C. M A C. Yeah, and um, so like the Kings of Scotland as opposed to the the uh, the, the restaurant chain. Um, and I, I think the uh, you know at jonathanmacdonald.com forward slash books, my books are there. But really, without trying to promote any of my books my um my request would be to anyone listening that that they you now speaking directly to this listener um consider just one question and that is how how ready and willing are you to consider that today is the slowest pace of change you'll ever experience and you and feel confident and optimistic about that reality uh, because the answer to that question will either guide you dear listener to invest more into understanding how to be powered by change or it's highly likely that this will seem as a, a nonsensical um, thesis and uh, and and the book is not for for those and so this isn't a um, sadly and my publishers would will, will chastise me for saying this although they're probably still hung over from the book awards ceremony 
the you know this isn't this isn't a general a general market book it's only for people who feel that they have achieved one percent of their potential and they are really happy and comfortable with the uncertainty of future times because they have a relatively good sense of certainty as to who they truly are and for those people it's yeah go to that you can also go to poweredbychange.com for those people i've written your handbook uh, and for the others i've written i've given you a, a free of charge beer coaster or um, kind, kindling for a fire <laughs> that is too funny well you know notwithstanding what your publisher might feel <laughs> inclined to quote my um musical legend uh, in the form of Jerry Garcia mm-hmm. who once said we the Grateful Dead are like oh, li- yeah. like licorice <laughs> yes, I, no, we're not for everybody but those who like us love us yeah. and, <laughs> yes and somehow that's what really makes for a great brand you know you don't want to be pleasing everybody and if you know who your target is then you will deliver Indeed. And so if we're going to end on a Grateful Dead quote, I've got several that I could choose from, but I'm going to use two um, just randomly off the top of my head. Love the first it. one I'm going to say, without love in the dream, it will never come true. Hmm. And my second one is going to be, and final to end with, is going to be that there is a road. It's no simple highway between the dawn and the dark of the night. Wow. That is beautiful. Jonathan, thank you so much for coming on the show and enjoying sharing those wonderful sayings. Thank you. And by the way, Minter, I think I can learn a lot from you. And, um, and my, my U-shape uh, is, is not just in terms of the very old and the very young. It's also in terms of the very experienced and the very inexperienced. And you are most certainly the former in terms of your experience. And it's an absolute honor. Your career and legend has preceded you. And I've, oh. I read your LinkedIn profile with utter dismay that I've achieved not one tenth of what you so thank you for inviting me thanks Thanks for having listened to this recording of the Minter Dialogue show you'll find the show notes and other blog posts on minterdial.com if you enjoyed the show please head over to iTunes to give a rating and review and to finish here's a song I wrote with Stephanie Singer a convinced man
wrong with challenge? I know soon we all die. I like the feel of a stranger tucked around me, precipitating the danger to feel free. Trust in my reason and let me show you why. I'm a convinced man practicing my lines. best known investor and Wall Street expert Warren Buffett once said, Wall Street is the only place that people ride to in a Rolls Royce to get advice from those who take the subway. Mr. Buffett's quote is remarkably accurate, but how many people would rather receive advice from him than someone simply guessing? Welcome to Buy, Hold, Sell, your single source for Wall Street knowledge and profitable guidance. Please join me, Todd Schoenberger, and fellow trader Tobin Smith, as well as host Veronica Dudo, for a podcast known to move the needle for investors. Tobin and I are seasoned Wall Street executives with deep investment experience, and we are prepared to share our advice to those who choose to listen. Download Buy, Hold, Sell today on the Evergreen Podcast Network or your favorite podcast channel.